0: Week three of our uh, series called Good and Beautiful Life, and basically the premise of this, uh, we're following along with a book, Good and Beautiful Life, but the premise is this, that what would happen if the kingdom of God actually ruled and reigned in your life, matter of fact, in every single area of your life, and what, what would happen if a life with Christ, or uh, being a Christian, or following the Bible, or however you want to put it, following God, what if that was more than just where do you go when you die? And it actually had to do with making your life now better. In other words, when we say to somebody that they died, uh, they went to a better place, what if the kingdom of God could actually make this a a better place, regardless of your circumstances? And so that's the premise, and that's what we're talking about uh, each week. This morning, we're starting off with the first... Topic, kind of that Jesus talks about in his Sermon on the Mount and this book goes through the Sermon on the Mount hoping to get us to rethink the way we look at life. Uh, so in January... Uh, 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 July we started this this firework stand that's Living Springs firework stand the person all the way on the left there with his thumbs up is Jeff Rivera and he was happier uh, than he's ever been in his entire life except for his wedding to work in the firework stand so that's just a plug for next year because we're going to need some more people but this firework stand was on Magnolia and Trask and so if you're not familiar with that it's where the in and out is and you're like oh yeah no, now I know where it is Uh, Uh, And what would happen is we, this booth here faced Trask and Trask would back up to Magnolia uh, as people were waiting to turn and all this and you're getting on the freeway right after that and so it gets kind of backed up. And um, this guy in a white SUV decided he needed to turn left but he was in the middle lane and so he kind of shoved over into the left and, and blocked this one guy in a BMW that was behind him, this young kid. And so the young kid began to lay on his horn, and that's where we entered the uh, conversation because we heard the honking and kind of looked up. And uh, the guy in the BMW uh, honked and then um, went right around the, the, the uh, SUV and kind of parked in front, like kind of like, you're not going to get in front of me, and then gestured, I think, to wave hello or whatever. LAUGHTER um, he was doing something with his hands, miming, I think. It's like, look, it's a dog. Uh, anyway, uh, so he, 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 he started gesturing, and so uh, the guy in the SUV got out of his car. And have you ever seen where, like, those little, uh, little beetles and, like, 50 clowns get out, and you're like, how did they all fit in there? Well, this guy got out, and it was like, oh, he was 20, this is not a lie, he was 20 feet tall. I, I, I'm not exaggerating. He was huge, and he was seven feet wide. And um, for those of you who are my age, did you ever play that game Punch-Out, where you're the boxer? And, and if you get like three levels in, there's this guy called Bald Bull. Yeah, that was him. It was Bald Bull. So he comes out of his SUV, and, and, and he's... he's quoting Shakespeare and he comes out and he gets all old school like this and so I'm watching this like I'm watching the Discovery Channel like this is this is fast I I wait for the narrator you know the larger male is you know like his territory has been you know whatever they do on the Discovery Channel um and so so I'm kind of thinking you know how many clowns are going to come out of the BMW you know And this kid comes out, he's probably, I don't know, 19, early 20s at the most, like probably a buck 50 if you were holding a bag of wrenches. I mean, it was just, he's just small. So he gets out. So we got old school bald bull guy. And then he comes out and he's like young, like he's all just like like this, you know, (laughs) which I don't know. What? But so he's kind of all like, yeah. So he, they're talking and, and the young guy's kind of like, you know, you don't want any of this. And, and, and the bald bull guy is making it very, very, very clear that he does in fact want some of that. <laughs> uh, and, and so he, he's just, and I'm looking at this guy. And, and so his wife or significant other or trainer comes out, <laughs> whatever she is. And she's trying to reason with him, okay. And he's, he's having none of it. So the young guy, he's all like this. He reaches in the back of his pants. Yeah, right, exactly. Okay, I'm in a box of fireworks. Okay, let's, let's not forget about me during this story. That's where I am. So he reaches in the back of his pants, and I'm thinking, um, you know, just get a belt. You can adjust it better. And the guy goes, he's still like this. He's like, you want to shoot me? And then he, um, he was really well read because he was able to use a particular word in many different tenses. (laughs) Like, and, and also like he used it as a noun, as a verb, an adjective, and a gerund so he was very well read and so he, he just is going profanity after profanity he's like you want to shoot me go ahead and he starts going after the kid well the kid didn't have anything in the back of his pants he was just trying to posture because that's all this kid had was posturing and so like on the discovery channel where they're like you know, they try to make themselves as big as the... it was not working so while he's pretending to carry a firearm, bald bull guy walks to his BMW, reaches in, grabs his keys, and throws them at the fireworks stand. I know exactly. I wet myself, and then the other people who are there much calmer than I, uh, they, they, you know, they go into like the 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 um, grass here and everything, and the the young guys realizing. I got nothing, you know. So bald, bull guy gets back in his car. He's just, he's just like, oh, he's enraged. The light turns green. It's gone through several greens, but he leaves. The young guy. We help him find his. Oh, I do. I, I'm, I'm still underneath <laughs> the thing. But uh, one of the ladies who was working there helped him find his keys. And so, we get in his car, and then, and then he realizes he's been completely, you know, made, played the fool. So he. Squeals out of there like he's gonna follow the guy, but I'm sure he just pulled in the in and out, and it's like I'm just gonna get something to eat because <laughs> he was not he was not going after that guy. Let me tell you. Uh, so so here's here's what I could here's what I can tell you what I saw. Here's exa- I can I know enough about the bald bull guy, like just in watching the whole thing to give you some facts about him. And and he, this is his brain. Uh, okay, this is all of our brains. And uh, that little eye sees some things and it, it processes through this thalamus and the occipital lobe and uh, into the hippocampus. And then it goes into this little thing. See that dot right in the middle called the uh, amygdala? You have an amygdala too, okay? So you just, so don't blame bald bull guy. He's, his is just about this big because that's how big his head is. But, but this amygdala... What was happening to him physiologically was that thing fired... And it took his adrenal gland and wrung it out like a sham wow, okay? And, and so adrenaline flooded his uh, body. His heart increased heart rate to go from 4 liters per minute to 20 liters per minute. Uh, his skin and organs, it just like sucked the blood right out of that. And what happened was that, that frontal part, see that's called your uh, neocortex or frontal cortex, that just shut down. Like reasoning shut down. He was all primal. That amygdala is our fight or flight. Do I eat it or does it eat me? That's kind of just the basic thing of that uh, amygdala, and we all have one. And so you could not reason with him at all. Uh, if you ever read Daniel Goleman's book, uh, Emotional Intelligence, it's called an amygdala hijacking. It just, it, just, it just takes over. And it's hard to deal with people that are in that kind of rage. Now, for some of us, we work with a guy or a girl like this. Some of us have family members that can't control their anger. Some of us ourselves can't control our anger. And we're wondering, what is, what is happening to me? Now, here's some other things I know about that guy. Uh, one is, because of his anger, his relationships have a lid on them. Uh, if you've ever met somebody who has anger problems, everyone around them is thinking, when, when is Mount St. Helens going to erupt again? If you find yourself around people going, uh, I don't know if this is a good time to talk to them or not, they might, they might have an anger problem. If you, find yourself, if you find people around you going, hey, how's it going? You might have an anger problem. And, and so, so this is what I know about that guy. His, his relationships can only get about this high because of, because of his anger. The other thing I know is that anger is the lens by which he views everything. In other words, he, you could get honked at and be gestured to and maybe get a little bit uh, upset, but you don't get hijacked. Your, your frontal lobe kind of engages and goes, well, hey, they probably had a bad day or, or whatever. Okay? Another thing I know about this guy is that Jesus loves him a lot. Jesus loves this guy a lot. And when he responds like that, whichever situation, whether he's cut off or something happens at work or something happens in his, you know, whatever he does, like lumberjack business or whatever, uh, the Lord is there with him. if you would just, if you would just calm down, if you would just allow me To take lordship of your life, it doesn't have to go this way. And your relationships that have a cap on them, they can start getting richer and richer and richer. The the situations you come up with, whether it be with a client or a neighbor or whatever, we we can deal with all that. Here's what Jesus is saying to them. It doesn't have to be this way. And and as it comes to anger, and we're going to look at what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, he says to all of us, it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to be controlled by your circumstances. You don't have to be controlled by your amygdala. <laughs> now, some of this is physiological and you can't help it. And, you know, that's why sometimes when a, a plate crashes in the other room, you like, go, oh, you know, cra- crazy, because that's what happens. It fires and you're, you're like, do I run out of the building or whatever? But what, what happens when all of a sudden you have to work a little bit late? It's like one thing to fight or flight, but it's another thing. It's like, i got to work late again. And there's this. And our Lord is just going, it doesn't, let the kingdom of God reign. It doesn't have to be like that. Now, just a little review, because we're going to be going over this every week. Jesus showed up on the scene to a group of people who had every reason to be angry. Okay, they were in an occupied country. They were occupied by Rome many 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 things in their life were unfair and so jesus comes on the scene and he goes repent for the kingdom of heaven is in your midst the kingdom of god is in your midst and it's like we take that repent and this is part of it but we take it and we go oh ask for forgiveness because god's here and he's ready to go his amygdala is firing right now okay like repent because the kingdom of God is right here. But w- the Greek word for repent is just to change your mind. And so what we talked about, and we'll talk about it every single week, because it's super important. Change the way you've been thinking. This is another way to say repent, for the kingdom of God is in your midst. Change the way you've been thinking. A life of intimacy and interaction with God is now in your midst. Like, like no matter what your circumstance, Rome doesn't have to go for you to, to, for you to not be angry. The IRS doesn't have to implode and fall into the sea for you not to be angry. It doesn't have to be this way. Change the way you think. Allow the kingdom of God to truly reign. And this is, this is kind of the same thing we talk about every week. What we're talking about in this series is allowing God to be God in everything. Allowing God to be God. So Jesus comes on the scene and he says that repent for the kingdom of God uh, is in your midst or change your way of thinking. A life with intimacy with God is possible and available. And then he talks about the Beatitudes, and those are the blessed are the peacemakers. And even if you don't read the Bible very much, you've, you're, you're probably familiar with what we call the Beatitudes. Uh, blessed are the poor and speak. Uh, may, maybe uh, the meek shall inherit the earth. That's one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, all, all these different things. Those are called the Beatitudes. And, and, and what Jesus is saying is if you're in this spot right now, you're blessed because the kingdom of God can satisfy all those needs. If you're poor in spirit right now, you're blessed because you're in a position to be able to really have the kingdom of God change your life. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if, if you're kind of going through life and you're going, man. That things need to change in my life just morally. You're in a great spot because Jesus can come in and fulfill fill that, that hunger and that thirst for righteousness. Okay, and so, so Jesus comes along and then, so he, he says, basically, the kingdom of God is for everybody. Okay, and the second thing he says is you're the salt of the earth. Like, to the extent you can get the kingdom of God ruling and reigning in your life, you're, people are gonna notice He says, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be uh, hidden. So, So in other words, as we allow God to be God in everything, as we begin to change the way we think, all of a sudden, people will begin to take notice. And you might, have, you might be here this morning because your, your friend did this. Your friend began to have the kingdom of God change them. And you took notice. And you went, I, I'd like some of that. That's just Jesus's, the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That's just the beginning of it. And then he goes in to where the rubber meets the road. And he begins to hit these little topics. In this book we're going through, Good and Beautiful Life, that's what we're doing now. This is the first topic Jesus uncovers. The first way he says, change the way you're thinking. There's a life of intimacy with God. Oh, and by the way, let's start with anger. Okay? Now he was talking to a group of people, like I said, who had um, uh, every reason to be angry. And where does anger come from? You know, it's not just a physiological thing. Oftentimes, it comes from uh, unmet expectations, right, or fear. You're afraid, you know, you're at work and you have an idea and somebody takes your idea and they get promoted and you have that anger because you're fearful that, wow, now I won't get the recognition I deserve. Now I won't get that promotion. Now no one will know that I was the one that actually did that. There's fear. Also unmet expectations. You you expect when you go, uh, I was talking about this in small group. Uh, A little bit because I was just sharing that when I get on the freeway, it's my expectation that there should be no one else on the freeway but me. That is my expectation, and so when I leave the house, I think to myself, "There better not be one other car on the freeway when I get on there." Now, what? Of course, we laugh, right? But. But what, what is my expectation? Because when I hit traffic, I get angry, but it's like, dude, you're in Southern California. Like, but again, that unmet expectation, that unspoken expectation, brings up anger. Now, here's what Jesus says. This is so cool. He begins to take it a whole nother route. He says, This, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I'm afraid somebody actually might raise their hand. Like, has anyone murdered anyone? Oh, gosh, you did. Okay. <laughs> Ushers, seize him. No. Uh, okay, you shall not murder. We all, we all kind of get that idea. You're not supposed to murder anyone. But it's almost like Jesus takes all these different topics and he, and he, and he turns them upside down. He goes, do you know where murder comes from? Like, do you know how the murderer got There. And so he begins to go backwards and he's unraveling that to go, if you would allow the kingdom of God to rule in your, and reign in your life at this point, you won't get all the way to this point. So he says, anyone who, uh, anyone who murders will be subject to d- judgment. And then there's this little phrase in there that he repeats through all these different topics. But I tell you, that is, that is a key word for change the way you think. You've heard it said, but I, here's where I want to go. When the kingdom of God is ruling and reigning, and this is uh, 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 someone who allows that that kingship to happen in their life, this is what their life looks like. He goes on, but I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He's going, "I, I don't even want you to be angry with each other. Now, Depending on your theology, you can try to figure out what does that subject to judgment mean? And so some of our theology, we think, we say, well, we're all sinners, and so we're all subject to judgment. And so, so this is just Jesus' way of saying everybody's guilty uh, no matter what. Um, there's nobody righteous, and so even if you're angry, you're done, you know, and, and maybe that's part of it. But as you see Jesus go on, you kind of get the idea that he's talking about something much greater than that. Again, not a, kingdom God, not a kingdom of eternity, heaven or hell, or judgment or non-judgment. But what about right now? What about when I get to work tomorrow? What happens when I get in my car on my way out of the parking lot? What happens when I go for a sandwich and there's none left because all the other people took it? What is going to happen here? But I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment again, he says. Because this is new for them too. Matter of fact, he's using scripture that they've known their whole lives. And he's turning it upside down and saying, oh, it's way worse than you shall not commit murder. He says, again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, raka, which just means good for nothing, which you can, you know, you can use at work, you know, if you're talking to your boss and you're like, hey, raka. He's like, hey, raka. You're like, raka. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. So uh, anyone who says to his boss or brother or sister, raka, rock on, um, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Whew. Wow. Now, do you think Jesus is serious here or is he just kind of like trying to get him around up? Like what, like that's heavy. Another, hey, let, let me put it this way. Because the hell, the hell word gets everybody all freaked out. Let me put it this way Jesus is dead serious about this stuff. We, we can't just dismiss it. If there's somebody in my life where I think oh, those a good for nothing, Jesus is serious about that attitude in me and he wants it gone. It's a competing kingdom, if you will. When I see somebody, I say, man, I, what a fool. What a good for nothing. Jesus is like, hey, 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 hold on a second. What, what is that in you? What's, what's happening right now? That's not, that's not the kingdom of heaven. And so this is what he's saying. And then he says this, as though he didn't get his point across, but the last one. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember, listen to this, your brother or sister has something against you. Wait a minute, Jesus. Okay, Jesus, here's the thing. I won't kill anyone, okay? And if I'm angry with somebody, I certainly don't want to be, go to the fiery hell, so I'll stop doing that. Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. In the kingdom of God, you're now responsible if someone has something against you. Now, see, that one, personally, I have a problem with, Jesus, because what if I'm just minding my own business, and they're, they don't like me or something? Like, I'm responsible for that? You're not, Jesus is saying, you're not responsible for them, but here's what you are responsible for. You remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Now, again, we, we it's hard for us to, to get this, okay? Um, this was really hard. This would have been very weird. Uh, this would have stood, if you showed up and you had a gift for the altar, and then you went to the altar, and, you, and then you're like, oh man, that's right? you know my mother-in-law can't stand me put the whole thing down and like go home it's not it's not like the the temple wasn't just like right there like you just like leave and go home and go make it right jesus is like whatever you think you're doing spiritually drop it and get this right this is how important it is to the kingdom of god that we don't allow anger or these Uh, anger against us or anger uh, towards other people to invade our lives. It's a competing kingdom. He says, leave your gift at the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come back and offer your gift. I I was expecting to see if it's still there, but I don't know. He didn't say that. And he goes on. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still on the way. This is hard stuff. Imagine if, if somebody has something against you and listen to this, listen to this. Imagine someone has something against you and you're right. I mean, you're dead right and everyone knows you're right. Like you're right, they're wrong. And they're trying to take you to court or they're trying to talk to the boss or they're trying to, uh, but maybe you're at school and, 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 and so you're you know, at, at the locker or whatever and there's a group of guys or a group of girls, a group of peers who are, are, are making fun of you or putting you down or whatever. You're right. Jesus says, oh, we're not considering right and wrong right now. The kingdom's so much bigger than that. So he says, He says, do it while you're still on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. So you're not only right, you're in prison, (laughs) right? Now, where is Jesus going with all this? I I believe what he's trying to get across to the people is, yeah, the Bible says don't murder and that's great. But that doesn't give the whole picture of what it's like to be completely taken over by a God who wants to rule and reign your life. And I, I think Jesus understands just how beautiful a life is when it's able to kind of sweep all this stuff under the rug and not worry about it. And so he makes this thing. And then he goes on and he says, Truly, I tell you, uh, you won't get out until you've paid the last penny. Now, let, let, now, let's just personalize this a little bit. Some of us in this room, and I have absolutely been with you on this and, and could easily be with you on this, there is something between you and another person And it it has you in prison right now. You are in prison with your own resentment, with your own anger. Your own anger is keeping you in prison. And listen, listen, I'm on your side. You're probably right. I know every time I'm angry, I'm right. So I imagine every time you're angry, you're right. What the Lord is saying is, listen, we have to be able to allow God to do his work in us. That even when we're right, don't let it just grab us and put us in prison. Now, every time we think about that person, we're, oh, man, and then that's another thing that they did. And this is, this is similar. You might have someone in your family. Okay, that, that, that when you know when your family gets together, that particular person, uh, y- you, have, you have story after story after story. And when they start to talk, everyone can kind of roll their eyes because that, we're on shaky ground there from the way the kingdom is. You might have someone at work, and it's just like, oh, boy, there they go again. You know, those types of talk, that type of rhetoric is an indication that maybe I've, I've got some anger issues I need to deal with. We'll talk about in just a little bit how to deal with that. And so this is where Jesus is coming from. He's like, look, in the kingdom, there's no room for that. And not only don't murder somebody, but let, get, get your anger under control. Get, get the way you think about other people, the way you talk about other people under control. Or else it's just going gonna, gonna to kill you. And, and, and just like that guy who stepped out of his SUV, right, who's so angry, that, that puts a lid on his relationships. Our anger puts our, a lid on our relationships with, with Jesus. It puts a lid on our relationship with others. And the Lord is in the business. Listen of opening up those lids so that our relationships are fuller, so our relationship with him is fuller, so that circumstances don't just completely cripple us. Now, the Apostle Paul goes over this uh, as well, and the, the Apostle Paul gives us a couple really, really great things that if we just took these two things, if we just got this down this week, we would automatically begin to see different patterns of anger start to melt away. Okay? So Paul's talking to the church in Ephesus, and um it's a real heady theological book, and, and Paul uses a lot of long sentences. It takes, as you read it, you're you're like, dude, don't you know what a period is? I mean, it's just like it just keeps going and going, and you, you have to really spend a lot of time trying to figure out what he's what he's saying. And so he gets to um chapter four, and he's already given a whole bunch of you know knowledge to them, and that Chapter 4, he says this, So I tell you, and insist on it in the Lord. <laughs> like, like, I. not only do I tell you, but as much as the Holy Spirit's inspiring me to write, get this down, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, if you've been a Christian for more than five years, um, you have in your mind already what a Gentile looks like. And so some people, and they, the different things they grow up. They think of, you know, a sinner and all this kind of stuff. And so I just wrote some fun things down. Like maybe if Paul were to write it to the Christian church today, he might say, uh, so that... You may no longer live as the Gentiles do with their wild parties or whatever. You know, we think in terms of that. Like that's, oh, that's really Gentile or, or with all that sexuality, you know, that, that just crazy things, crazy idols with all those crazy idols or with their ungodly voting record, you know. Uh, so I tell you, insist on in the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do with their ungodly voting record, you know, basically. But you know what Paul does? He starts where everything starts. He says, I insist on it in the Lord, like as strongly as I can say this, don't live like the Gentiles live. You say, Paul, what is that? In the futility of their thinking. That they're thinking, if I might just kind of expound a little bit, Paul's saying, don't, don't live as the Gentiles live they come to the wrong conclusions. Let's go back to the guy who was coming out of his, his uh, SUV. How was that going to end? Like, what, what was going to happen? So if it, if it went down, like if he, could, if he could write out the best way that would happen, he would be disrespected. He would come out, you know, be, get ready to go. Uh, the guy would you know do his thing and then he deck him one punch and the guy's out you know lying on the ground and then he gets in his SUV and drives off okay like what that's feudal thinking i mean i mean most of us in this room probably wouldn't think of like That's a great, and I had a great day. (laughs) I decked somebody in the middle of the street, and then I got in my car and drove off. Most of us don't think that way, but but let's just get it to where we are. Don't we do this all the time? We're getting angry about something, and maybe we're fantasizing about it, and then when they open their mouth at the next staff meeting, I'm just going to... I'm, I, and you have the long list of stuff, you know, bullet points you're going to hit. And they, they're sitting at the thing. And you stand up. You rise in, un, you know, righteous indignation. And you say, you. And you go through your different things. And people, their jaw drops. And they're like, wow. That was, oh, oh he's right. Oh, the poor guy. He's been dealing with this. That's right. I hate him too now. Paul like, yes, let's all fire him immediately, and then he'll be destitute, and he'll live in a box, okay, in skid row. Yes. Paul says, why are you thinking like that? That's futile. That doesn't accomplish anything. Yeah, it makes you feel better. So this is where Paul goes, and he goes on. We don't have time to read it all, but he goes on And he says, like, they're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from a life of God. There's a hardening in their hearts. They've lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. Like, You know where all that starts? Futility of thinking. And Jesus knows this. And so instead of starting with the murder, instead of starting with the sin of murder, Jesus goes all the way back and says, you're noggin'. Start changing the way you think, because if you don't, and it's futile, it's going to lead to a place you don't want to be. And so Paul goes through that, and then he says this. It's so great, because, you know, you, you stop there, and you think, boy, Paul's really giving it to him. He says, listen, that, however, is not the way of life you learned like, that's not, that's, when, when you first decided to follow Jesus and maybe, maybe for some of you who aren't you've never made that decision yet and this is all new to you you came to church uh, you haven't been here in a long time or maybe you've never been to church and you're starting to think like you don't think in terms of oh you know I'm going to really learn how to get back at people you're trying to change you're like I want a life that is free At least that's how I was when I came to Jesus. I wanted a life that was free from my junk. And so he says, uh, that's not how you learn the way of life when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and be made new. Now, again, the question is, well, how, how do I... How am I made new? Well, again, I just wrote these fun things down. Uh, You Be made new and stop worshiping crazy idols. Or here's the one, here's the one that you've probably heard many, many times. If you want to be made new, uh, stop sinning and you'll be made new. Here's what Paul says. That might be the end result, but here's what Paul says. Which is corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Again, Paul goes back to change the way you think. When you're disrespected. When you get something in the mail you didn't expect. When you get a text that you're looking at and you're thinking, oh man. When your boss says this. When you have a teacher at school who disrespects you. Or you have some kids at school who are, are treating you poorly. Change the way you think the attitude of your mind. He says, and put on the new self to create, uh, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Then he just inserts this, this one verse out of nowhere that's just like, and don't lie to each other. Like, well, okay. Right? And then he goes on to this next one. He says this, in your anger, do not sin. Now, The reason that's in quotes is because Paul was quoting that from Psalm 4-4. It's God actually talking in Psalm 4-4. And it says this. It's so cool the way God works. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Um, I don't know exactly how he phrases it, but you can look it up yourself. Psalm 4-4. You can just Google it. Uh, It says, in your anger, do not sin and reflect on your heart at nighttime. Like, it's like in your bed, reflect on. On your heart. In other words, like, like before you go to bed, the last, okay, how, how did I do today? How much was the kingdom of, of God in me? So Paul, Paul riffs off of that. He says, in your anger, do not sin, and don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, now listen to me. I told you there were two things we were going to learn this morning, that if we could just do these two things, it would change our lives. This is one of them. Now imagine what our church would be like, what Christians would be like all around the world. If, if when we went to bed at night, we thought to ourselves, am I angry about anything? Now, some of us watch the news right before we go to bed, and you're angry about a lot of stuff, okay? Because that's their job. Their job is to make you angry. They get paid to make you angry. And you know, you buy Diet Pepsi's because they pay to make you angry. That's exactly what it's all about. And so, when you go to bed at night, you're thinking to yourself, "Oh, I'm so troubled about this. I'm so troubled about that." If we would just follow Paul, saying, "Are you mad at anyone from work today? Are you mad at a client? Did, Did you have? Were you in the hallway at school and somebody disrespected you or said something to you or knocked your books down or whatever?" Can you, before you go to bed, let that go? It's hard, all right? But this is Paul's saying: Don't let the sun go down. Don't, don't allow yourself to carry it into the next day, okay? And then he takes it a little farther. And he says, and don't give the devil a foothold. Now, this word foothold in the Greek is uh, tapos, okay? T-O-P-O-S, tapos. It says, don't give the devil a tapos. Okay, and, 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 and basically what that means is just a place. It's like a designated place. So when Jesus was betrayed um, and, and they came to go get him, the, the guards came to go get him, Peter pulled out his sword and cut off one of the servant's ears. And Jesus said this, Peter, put, put your, he says, that my kingdom, you're fighting for the wrong thing. Put your shield back in its topos in its place, the place designated for the shield. It says in the Bible when Jesus went to Golgotha, the place of the skull, the tapos the of the skull. It's just, it's just what you would expect, okay? This would be the tapos where I preach every week. The place is just the designated place. What Paul is saying is this, don't have a spot that you've given the enemy control over. The way, how You say, well, how do I know? I, I would never give him. I'd never, like, pray, you know, dear Satan, uh, here is your spot. You know, like, like I'd never do that. Well, well, it just happens. And so as you're going through your mind, and I can almost do it right now. I won't do it, but I, I could start naming things that are going on in the world right now, whatever. And you, oh, you'd feel it. I could name a political party. In our particular church, it doesn't matter which one. Half of you would hate it and half of you would love it. And so uh, it's just just the way it is. And so I could name a political party. And you, oh, I just, oh, I can't. I might name a person that you come into contact with every day. And uh, that is a tapos that you've designated, that you keep going back to. And and, and there's something about anger that feels powerful. And so there's something, the reason why, talk radio is even in existence is because there's something that feels good about being righteously angry. It feels powerful. Like, I'm right about this. See, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't care if you're right. He doesn't want you to be angry. And so, Paul says, don't leave this place. Maybe as you reflect on your life this week, or as you reflect on, your, on, on, on this week that's coming up, you might know Oh, I'm going to enter this place. I think I've, I've kind of designated a place where I can go to get angry. I feel good about it. It's okay. I'm right about this. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Now, no. here's the thing. Let's say you have a place like that. What Paul's saying is that's the enemy's place. Well, let me ask you a question. And maybe you've never been to church before, but I'll bet you even you would get this question right. If there is a Satan... Do you think he's going to stay in his place? (laughs) Do you think he's going to be like, oh, can you show me again what you, oh, okay, there it is, all right, good, I'll just stay right here. Now, even if you've never been to church, we know enough about Satan that he seeks to to devour your life. So you give him one little space, he's going to begin to have that infect all the other areas of your life. And you know what you're going to be? You're going to be in prison, like Jesus said until you pay up every last cent. So he says, do not give the enemy a foothold. You know what Paul says in Romans? He says this, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room. That word in the Greek, leave room, is tapos. Don't take revenge, but that area that you designated, let God take control of that. Let him have rule and reign over that place, that tapos. And so what is it for you? Or better yet, let's this week, as we kind of go into this week, let's start to look at our lives. Hey, why am I upset about this? I wrote some questions down as the worship team comes back up. I wrote some questions down that we can ask ourselves to help us kind of give God space. The first one is this. Does God know about this? Does he know about the situation that you're dealing with? Does he know about your mother-in-law? Like, does he really know? <laughs> the second question is, is he angry about it? Is he as angry as you? Does he know about the traffic? Yeah, he knows about the traffic. Is he angry about it? Uh I hope so. <laughs> but he's probably not. Here's the third question: Would Jesus be angry? If he were in your skin and he was dealing with your boss, would he be angry at your boss? ask ourselves that question another question am i trying to control things right now we've been talking for months about this little phrase god has called us to stewardship not kingship our job is not to control everything around us it's that we get handed certain circumstances certain situations and it's our job to be a good steward of those things here's another question am i scared maybe the question is what am i scared of Am I scared I won't get the recognition, and then I won't get my promotion, and then I'll be, you know, what, what am I scared of? And then here's my favorite question. Is my amygdala uh, uh, being used, uh, using my adrenal gland as a punching bag? Like, like is it just physiological? Like, I just, oh, all of a sudden, mad? Ask me, so what, what's happening right now? Now that last question was just for fun. Here's what the writer of the book we're going through says. Outside the kingdom of God, we're on our own, (laughs) okay? We must protect ourselves, fight for our rights, and punish those who offend us. Inside the kingdom of God, life is much different. God is with us, protecting us, fighting for our well-being. Knowing this, much of our anger will diminish. There's a little card you got. If you don't have one of these, there's one in the back. I'd really strongly encourage you to get one. It just gives us our assignment this week. Read chapter 5. The second thing is a little hashtag campaign. If you're on Instagram, if you don't know what Instagram is, don't worry about it. But um, you can uh, make this part of our hashtag campaign for this. So this, this week, uh, this week I hit my thumb with a hammer and it burst the end of my thumb. And, um, and it, uh, it turns out that that's really painful. And so um, I just burst into prayer. And... Uh, And uh, so I took a picture of my thumb, and then it's hashtag anger management, hashtag good and beautiful life. Like like this would normally make me angry, but because my life is so beautiful with God in it, uh, I'm not. So you might take a picture of traffic. You might take a picture of your mother-in-law. You might take a picture of whatever angers you, and then you put uh, don't do that. Um, Anger management hashtag. And then the the other thing is um, fast from anger producing things conversations. And if, if, you, if you find yourself listening to something on the radio or watching something on television, and you find yourself getting angry, just remove that for a week. Stop. Okay? And then the last thing is to take a Sabbath, to completely disconnect, to allow God to r- rule and reign in your life for a whole day.